should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday, Thursday, October 5th. And uh, I know you're probably figuring it out by now, but um, on Tuesdays we have been missing a familiar voice. It's no longer uh, John Zipper Tuesdays, it's John Zipper Thursdays. John is here with us. John, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for time shifting with me. Well, we're, we've been doing that because we announced that you've been working hard on you know something incredible and fabulous over at the Commonwealth Club. You guys just launched at your new home mm -hmm. um, in San Francisco. Tell us, how, how is it going? Um, it's going great. We've got this wonderful waterfront uh, uh, building, and we've been pretty much having sold-out programs. with. So we had Ai Weiwei there on Monday, and we've got lots of big names and lots of interesting topics that we're getting into this month. Um, Ellen Powell, uh, Ellen Powell just had a talk. Recently, yeah. I, I really wanted to go to that one, but I couldn't. Uh, the reason why I wanted to go, I mean, Ellen Powell, if those of you who don't know, she was the woman who, uh, whose case made headlines, and her case surrounded uh, sexual harassment and really brought up the conversation around gender inequality in the tech world. Uh, did you get to go to the talk, or did you hear anything about it? I did not. I but I I reading up on it beforehand because of course I have to uh, be able to promote it in various places. Uh, it, it's interesting that she's not just she's she's taking this message then and then trying to expand it beyond just Silicon Valley because mm -hmm. I can see a lot of folks not really caring about Silicon Valley. It's a rarefied atmosphere. Okay, so you're making two million dollars less than you would have made otherwise. How does that affect anyone else? You know. Um, and I, I think it's good to kind of move that out of there and just realize how widespread these problems are. Well, you know, as speaking of discussions and talks, we have a lot to talk about, um, and especially surrounding gun control mm -hmm. in this country. Uh, the way that the narrative is going with the media as far as how the Vegas tragedy um, is has been reporting, it. It, it, I'm disgusted in a lot of ways. I'm disgusted because I feel like um, I, I, I'm angered like many Americans and, and I'm not quite understanding why leaders of this country, why journalists and people who call themselves journalists or people who are part of the media are, are distorting our reality. And our reality is that you know, high-powered uh, assault rifles, these guns that were made for mass killings, you know, should not be in the hands of everyday civilians. How has the media been distorting that? I mean... Well, I think, I, th I say overall, and, and I say the media, I should probably also mention fake news reporters and distributors, but um, I feel the media is to blame because they do this thing where it's like, it's like not it's it's this tone of of disregarding it almost the 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 dangers of people who who kind of have this kind of an 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 example of that is just saying like you know articles that write um why are we talking about gun control right now we should be mourning or uh uh or the media you know normalizing this man that's where it's coming from and and i want to get into that a little later when you and i have some time to reflect uh, we do have a special guest on the phone i see normalizing this person stephen paddock and you know how they're just 
it, it's like all the headlines make it seem like everybody's so like bewildered or or you know it's a conundrum like how could this have happened he's so normal he just gambles a whole lot he just has a lot of money he's just an old white guy you know and uh, I mean it's kind of suspicious he's got a girlfriend from the Philippines and he wired her a hundred thousand dollars and then it's like you know, and they're just like, okay, there were 26 guns in the hotel room, and nobody knows how he got it there, and it's all this kind of, this voice that makes it seem like he's just a regular normal guy, and we don't really know why he did this, and we're trying to figure it out, and I think that that angers me, because it's normalizing a guy that, uh, uh, you know, if he weren't an old white guy with a ton of money, he would probably be, uh, he would be something else, he would be Really freaking scary. He would be, uh, anyway, there's a lot of emotions there, I guess. And my point is, um, that takes away from the heart of the discussion. And the heart of the discussion is that I do feel that we really need to talk about gun control. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that, uh, with our next guest who's on the phone and she's with the Brady campaign. Um, uh, Amanda Wilcox, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I kind of went all over the place with how my feelings, you know, and I'm blaming everybody. I'm blaming the media. I'm blaming Republicans. I'm blaming politicians. Actually, I blame all politicians because politicians, legislators uh, have failed us every single day for a long, long time now, um, uh, as long as these types of mass killings happen. And I think I'm I'm overly emotional about the tragedy, and I can't get it out of my mind. But you'll help us, you know, rein it back to uh, speaking about it articulately why we need gun control. So let's talk about the Brady campaign. Uh, what is the Brady campaign for those who are just tuning in today? So the Brady campaign is a national organization uh, working to reduce firearm injury and death. In California, we have 28 chapters. We have them more chapters than any other state. Um, we're very involved in state legislation. I've had many successes in California, uh, nationally, of course, and as you referred to earlier, um, our politicians have failed us. It's a very different story. Um, but the goal is to reduce gun violence, and the Brady campaign's um, core policy issue or policy goal is a background check for every gun sale. You know, researchers, uh, the medical community, all the national advocacy groups, um, there's broad consensus among all of them that a background check um, is, is the most effective way to reduce firearm violence in our country. Uh, so is, is that as a first step because you can still have background checks and someone then passes the background check and they buy a semi-automatic weapon and bump right. stocks and other stuff? So. Um, is, that, is it that this is the most politically palatable option? Uh, well, I think it is. There mm -hmm. is broad consensus right. even among um, Republicans, yeah. uh, among Republicans and, and NRA owners uh, in supporting background checks. All the polling I've seen since the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012 have shown between about 85% and 93% of Americans supporting it. That's very broad support. Um, but also it's considered the most effective policy because, um, I mean, as horrific as the shooting was in Las Vegas, and it was terrible. And, you know, I lost my daughter in a rampage shooting, and frankly, uh, this just brings back the PTSD that I felt after she was killed in 2001, you know, and visualizing the people there um, outside trying to get away and people falling around them and the number killed and just hearing that. Um, machine gun-like fire, it's terrible. And it causes us to, we're outraged and we want to act. But you have to remember that 32 are murdered every day in our country. And so we have to look at policy that will reduce firearm deaths and injury every day. And mass shootings, as terrible as they are and as shocking as they are, are relatively rare events. Unfortunately, they seem to be increasing, but nonetheless, um, you know, the number that were killed in Las Vegas, that many are killed every two days in our country. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to look at what impacts the daily violence, much of which is domestic violence related, uh, criminal related, and um, much of it actually is suicide by firearm. And a number of these mass shootings um, 
end up being suicides as well. So, I, again, I think in terms of the daily gun violence background check um, would, have, would make the biggest difference. Now, that's not to say we don't work on other policies, and in California uh, we have. I mean, I, I've been a legislative advocate in the state capitol since 2005, and over 50 bills have been enacted since I've been involved. Many are very narrow, closing loopholes. Um, others have been very far-reaching, and we are seeing our firearm death rate drop significantly in California compared to the rest of the nation. So it's not going to be one law. I think background checks is the first major law, but there's many other things we can do. And, of course, looking at this ability to um, rapidly fire where many, many bullets in a very short period of time, that escalates the lethality, the number killed and injured in any shooting incident, which we saw in Las Vegas, that's certainly something that we need to deal with as well. I want to take this back and dial it back a little bit. You know, everybody talks about the Second Amendment as a right. I mean, this this right, uh, this right to bear arms, keep and bear arms, um, was basically signed in like 1791. I don't even know <laughs> what life was like in 19. 19- 29, for example. I mean, I can't imagine in 1791 what the firearms or, or guns, you know, were like, but I don't think that they are what they are, what they were like, what they are today. Um, you know, these high-powered uh, machine guns and things that we have today. Why Why do you think it's so difficult for, for people to, not people, let's just say, why is it so difficult for our country to look at the Second Amendment and make some logical decisions around, you know, what was the thought process back then and how we can keep that thought process but really make it so that uh, it's a a workable constitutional right according to the times today. I mean, it's 2017 now. Uh, Correct. I mean, I've often thought if people want to have a musket and they want to take the time to melt their lead and make their ammunition and, (laughs) um, you know, the length of time it takes to load one bullet, um, that would go a long way to increasing public safety. And uh, in my mind, certainly, the kind of firepower we have and access to weapons does um, show that the Second Amendment is out of date. But what I often tell people is it doesn't really matter what I think or even you think. It's what uh, nine judges think. It's actually right now what Anthony Kennedy thinks uh, in terms of the U.S. Supreme Court. And they did uh, roll back law and precedent in the Heller decision, which I believe was in 1987, or excuse me, uh, 2007, fairly recent, mm-hmm. um, where they found for an individual right to have a handgun in the home for self-defense. And that was the first time they actually clearly articulated an individual right to own a firearm. Scalia wrote the decision, a very conservative justice, but even he said and wrote that that right is not absolute and can be subject to regulation, including banning certain kinds of guns, including prohibiting certain classes of people from obtaining guns, uh, prohibiting guns in certain sensitive areas. Most of the laws that we've passed in California um, have been challenged. The gun lobby can't stop us in California in terms of enacting laws, or they can't stop us easily. Um, so their tactic is to challenge everything we do in the courts. And um, I would say 95-plus percent of our laws that have been challenged have been upheld in California. Um, so this uh, Heller decision by the Supreme Court that Scalia wrote has actually not interfered with what we have enacted um, in California, and we do have the strongest gun laws in the nation. So um, in a way, I feel the Second Amendment um, is really not the main issue here um, because the kinds of things that the Supreme Court wouldn't support, uh, I don't think we can enact anyway in California. Uh, you mentioned uh, you were talking about uh, background checks as being kind of a logical and, and effective thing. From what I'm seeing, the only thing it looks like U.S. senators can rally around is perhaps banning the so-called bump stocks, which is something I never even heard of before, you know, a day or two ago. Um, 
is I mean, anything you're seeing, is there any more momentum out there than than doing that? I mean, that seems like what I what I, I suspect people will end up watching is them going through a big deal of passing this one ban on on this one thing, which which does increase the lethality of these weapons, definitely. But still, you're able to own semi-automatic weapons. You're, you know, it's like they're saying, okay, we took our moment of political courage. Now that's all we can do. Any uh, worry about that? Yeah, yes, I do. I mean, um, again, we should be looking at the violence, the 32 that are killed every day, today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, right? And background checks would be most helpful and make the biggest difference. Um, and there is the broad public support. Um, there's a big disconnect between what Congress can do, particularly the majority party right now, what they're willing to do, and what are the public stands on this issue. You know, the NRA and other lobby groups have outside influence. Um, you know, it's money-driven, I believe. They've been, you know, they're huge campaign donors. They donated, they were Trump's biggest donor in the election last year. And keep in mind, the NRA is funded by the gun industry, and their interest is to sell more guns, right? And if you have a new, new product, um, you know, pe so many people have guns now, how do you keep selling your product, and so they come up with new things, like this uh, bump stock, right? Um, so it's a big problem. I, I think this year, with this Congress, I can't get much of anything, the hope <laughs> of anything good uh, happening, even with the Las Vegas shooting, is very slim. Yeah. And the fact that there does seem to be some bipartisan support for um, the, the proposed legislation that Feinstein has, Feinstein has to ban the buff stocks, um, I think that's great because it's kind of like the first step to, to vote for um, a quote-unquote gun control measure. And it's not going to be the end of the world for these people. Right. So, you know, if we, if we can accomplish that, I think it would be a good thing. It's, you know, the bipartisan um, support that it seems to have right now seems somewhat unprecedented. And I think it's actually indication that the NRA and the gun lobby has gone too far um, because there is no sporting purpose for these devices, no practical or legitimate reason for having them. And the fact that um, politicians who've really been under the thumb of the NRA can say that, I think is an important step. But I do want to mention other good things that um, – might be happening out of this terrible incident, which is this year we knew, our national groups knew, that we were going to be on the defensive in terms of stopping the bad stuff, because there's a long list of bad policies that this Congress is looking at and wanting to pass that would roll back our gun laws and actually would have a very negative impact on California in undermining our strong gun laws. Um, one of these was the silent... Uh, the SHARE Act, which, as I understand, was um, they were planning to bring up for a vote this week. Uh, among the terrible provisions in this bill uh, is a provision that would deregulate silencers. Mm -hmm. um, they are not bringing that up for a vote, and uh, Speaker Ryan has said that that's not scheduled for a vote. So um, that's good, because <laughs> that had us worried. Another terrible policy that's been on the wish list for years for the gun lobby is what they call CCW reciprocity. So uh, a CCW, carry concealed weapon, um, citizens get permits to carry a hidden, loaded gun uh, in public. And states um, provide CCW permits to allow citizens in their state to carry a loaded hidden gun in public. In California, which is a quote-unquote may issue state, uh, a, someone who wants to carry a, a concealed weapon in public has to get a permit from their local law enforcement. Usually it's the sheriff. And the sheriff uh, conducts an interview usually. They have to go through a course of training, pass a background check, of course, and um, have a, a, a need a reason for why they need to carry a loaded hidden gun. That's California's standard. Um, other states, anyone, 
can carry a loaded hidden gun. Right. In some states, if you have a gun, then you automatically can carry a loaded hidden gun in public. And what um, the reciprocity legislation would do, we call it arm anyone mm-hmm. legislation, California would be forced to recognize permits from other states. So it forces states to recognize permits from other states meaning that the state with the lowest standard, which is virtually no standard, they would be able to carry their gun anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. It means Californians who can't get a permit in our state, maybe for a very good reason, could go out of state, get a permit, and then carry back in California. That's People right. People who can't pass a background check under California law could get a permit out of state and carry back in California. So it's terrible legislation that um, would undermine our strong gun laws in California as well as other states with strong gun laws and um, basically make the state with the worst law the law of the land. So, you know, these are things that we're very worried about passing this year. And um, I think certainly right now um, Congress doesn't dare bring up these measures. Right, right. Thank you so much for that. See, I knew we were going to get to a place where we can articulate, you know, what's Like, these are the reasons why we need to be talking about uh, gun control. We're going to take a quick short break, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about gun control with California Legislative and Policy Chair Amanda Wilcox of the Brady Campaign. Don't go away. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook. And when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do. Especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Thursday, October 5th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here in studio with us. And our special guest on the phone is California Legislative and Policy Chair Amanda Wilcox of the Brady Campaign. And we are discussing gun control here on Progressive Voices Network. I mean, everybody on the network is talking about gun control. And everybody, you know, in your neighborhood or your friends, your family, everybody's talking about the fact that uh, a guy in Vegas tragically killed over 55 people um, and had over 20-some guns in a hotel room. How the, th- This question comes up all the time. How the heck did he get, uh, you know, 20-some guns into a hotel room? Well, if you know gun laws in certain states, uh, according to the laws or, or the invisible laws, no laws that exist uh, or regulating this, he did nothing wrong. I mean, if he is allowed to carry a concealed weapon, according to some of these laws that uh, legislators want to pass, uh, you know, carrying a bunch of a suitcase with a bunch of guns into a, a hotel room could actually be considered 
legal. That sounds really, really scary, um, knowing that the uh, outcome of the whatever this guy was planning is uh, lots of lost life. And so, Amanda, you know, um, th- the part that, that I was talking about as far as how we're talking about gun control, I feel like, you know, legislators, politicians have failed us in actually uh, creating or, or implementing or passing laws, writing laws uh, that we're supposed to vote on that makes it safe for us all. But also I think that there's failure on, on all sides, including the media, which talks about um, gun control in a way where it's controversial. I think that's how I wanted to position it, but I, I wasn't able to articulate it earlier because I'm so overwhelmed with emotions. As somebody who has experienced, right, you have personal experiences and, and we're very, very sorry for your loss, uh, as you mentioned before the break, you know, somebody who has personal experiences, somebody who's made it uh, their life to advocate for for gun regulation, um, somebody who's got to talk and fight, fight with legislators, and then uh, wake up and then these tragedies happen, you hear it in the news, What what is it like for you as far as like reading the headlines and how the media is talking about it like what emotions does it elicit for you and what do you think we need to be doing in order to talk about it in the right way uh yes well you know these these horrific mass shootings bring out a lot of emotions for me they actually tend to make me almost non-functional for a couple days i'm feeling a daze um brings back PTSD, which I think I had after my daughter was killed. Um, and, of course, it's not theoretical what the family members and the community is going through, because I went through that. And, you know, I know how they're, I know they're in shock right now. Um, their lives are turned upside down. It will dominate everything in their life. Life will be viewed through this lens of having lost their loved one. Um, what should be their best days in the future. You know, graduations, weddings, holidays will become their worst because their loved one's not there. Um, for me, it's softened with time, uh, but the grief and the loss is always there, and of course it comes back center front after these shooting instances. So in terms of the media, um, you know, a couple things that bother me. One is, as I've already said, we have this uh, daily carnage that actually happens in our country. Um, 93 die every day from guns. 32 are murdered every day. And we've become, it's become so normalized that um, we don't, it's not covered, that daily loss. Um, now, what, now the big story is, if it's, you know, this, now the new threshold, I guess, is 58 people killed. Um, you know, we keep having these, um, the largest number of people killed ever, and then it happens again. Uh, but the, the daily violence is ignored. That's happening neighbor to neighbor or in homes of domestic violence or on our urban streets. And, you know, we need to stop that, and that's just as horrific. Every life matters. Every life. Um, so that bothers me that the daily violence isn't covered more. The other is how we frame it. Um, I've learned long ago not to say gun control, um, because that makes it look like um, my focus is the gun, and my goal is dealing with the gun. And actually, my goal is dealing with the gun violence, reducing firearm injury and death. There's more consensus around that. Uh, I think if we frame it that way, um, it's easier to find common ground, because no one, well, no one normally, no normal person supports firearm injury and death. Um, I think what um, makes it so difficult to move this issue forward and find common ground is the political rhetoric, particularly on the pro-gun side, that has escalated everything, any proposal, any policy proposal into uh, becoming a gun ban. Now, we can't ban guns even if we wanted to. I just spoke about the Heller decision. Right. Um, so let's remove that off the table. And once we do, uh, and people realize, pro-gun people realize, you know, this isn't going to be a ban on guns, then I find that the conversations can happen and there is more common ground. Um, and so I'm very frustrated how the pro-gun lobby always escalates it to a gun ban, and that 
the media allows them to do that. Uh, there's been quite a bit of reporting, I guess in defense of the media, but uh, quite a bit of reporting lately on uh, which politicians have received the most money from the NRA, both per year and even over the career, you know, over their political careers. And, you know, the sums add up to really some amazingly huge amounts. Um, do you feel that uh, the the pro-regulation folks need to be able to meet that sort of, uh, you know, monetary level or that, you know, the, more of the, the hard legwork and, and arguing and, and uh, informing and educating sort of stuff can, can uh, win out over that money in the end? Well, probably both. I mean, you look in California where we're, you know, passing laws every year right. and have great leadership on it. And, um, you know, our laws now are passing fairly big margins in the legislature. Um, and, you know, I don't think uh, money is a factor because our politicians in California have embraced uh, the policies and feel strongly about it. Um, willing to stick their neck out of, out about it. And I don't think money is a factor in our deep blue state. <laughs> right. um, nationally, I, I'm sure, you know, money is a big factor. Everyone probably cares most about getting reelected, and you need money to do that. Um, but obviously there are many uh, politicians who are willing to do the right thing. And I think it's it's um, helping them to do the right thing, regardless of money or the politics. And we can do that with providing them the right information. Um, obviously, constituents need to, to communicate their opinion and that they care and support this. Um, and so we need both, I yeah. think, at the national level. But bear in mind, I'm mainly focused on California. Um, policy and politics and not as uh, tuned in on, on the national scene. Mm -hmm. Amanda, it's been a, a, such a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you so much for helping us navigate this conversation. And although you focus on California, and, and we had kind of just you know glazed over the fact that each state has different um, uh, gun laws, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, lots of people have brought up the fact that Nevada, you know, you, you can it's almost like there are no gun laws in Nevada like you <laughs> well they apparently passed some mm -hmm. I don't know if they, these were locally or statewide mm -hmm. but they weren't allowed to uh, enf enforce them or implement them I guess correct mm. they passed the background check initiative last fall mm -hmm. um, but it has not yet been implemented the Nevada Attorney General is holding it up so but the Neva Nevada citizens did pass a background check for all gun sales so that's that's a, a little bit of, of, of good news or some hope, some optimism for those of us who want to see regulation. Uh, my last question to you really is about, you know, the focus now. I mean, you know, throw away the hopes and prayers and for a lot of people like yourself who are out there on the field doing the work and, and making these types of policies and these laws come into fruition. Um Talk to us about what this the near future looks like for us, in your opinion. I mean, it 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 sounds like it sounds like more and more people are becoming aware that this is something we need. What what do you think? Uh, certainly, in my circles, <laughs> uh, people feel that we need this. I you know I think a new policy area that's getting traction nationally is the what we call it in California. Sorry, I'm getting a call on here. We call it in California the Gun Violence Restraining Order. I think it's called the Extreme Risk Protective Order nationally. Um, but the goal is to remove guns from dangerous people. We generally do that when someone is prohibited because, um, you know, they in California they've been hospitalized for extreme severe mental illness. Uh, they're a domestic violence abuser. They're a felon. felon whatever, there's classes of people that are considered at risk of violence or dangerousness and can't have a gun under California law, many under federal law. And, of course, in California, we have a background check for every gun sale so they can't get their gun, at least legally can't. But there are many people who are not prohibited but are dangerous. An example of that, of course, is the Las Vegas shooter. 
Another example is the shooter uh, in Tucson, Arizona, who shot Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. Another example is the shooter in Aurora, Colorado, uh, who did the shooting in the movie theater. And then the one near Santa Barbara in Isla Vista here in California in 2014. And so I think the problem is that there's lots of people who aren't prohibited, who are, quote-unquote, maybe the good guy with the gun, if you use the gun lobby's phrase, who become the bad guy with the gun. And are there warning signs? Often we find family members, uh, neighbors, or others were concerned about this person. And in California now, we have a new law that allows family members or law enforcement to petition the court for temporary firearm prohibition, and that's gaining traction in other states. Um, so I'm, cause I think we need to go back to, I think we need to realize that um, anybody, any good guy even, <laughs> to use her term, could be in crisis or despondent and suicidal or um, fired from their boss and angry at their employer who at that time should not have a gun. And it's um, kind of recognizing the risks that we all have with firearms. And, of course, most gun deaths are suicide by firearm, not a, a criminal element at all. And so I think that law and working that new law in California and then nationally would just help change the thinking about the risk of a gun, the risk of having a gun in the home, and um, being your being the good neighbor or your brother's keeper, however you want to put it, in terms of making sure your loved one or someone you know uh, doesn't have that risk. And so it's, it's, I think, changing the mindset for, from I need a gun for self-defense to my gun, my home is actually less, less safe with a gun. And that's the shift we need to make. Amanda, thank you so much again, and thank you for all the work that you do with the Brady Campaign. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Don't go away. When we come back, John Zipper and I continue with the Michelle Miao Show. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Michelle Miao Show. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. He usually spends one day a week with us, and uh, lately it's been either Tuesday or Thursday. But eventually it will be consistent because we'll be doing a program together at the Commonwealth Club. That's the secret um, that we've been holding on to and that we just talked about last week. I'm super excited about it, and so make sure you follow us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. 
John and I will finish the show up with our final thoughts around gun control. But before we do that, I want to play a special segment that was sent to us by Sal Serpa. He's here in San Francisco and uh, has a wonderful podcast. So let's listen to his podcast regarding coming together, the Come Together rally. And this was put together in response to the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists that came to San Francisco, the Patriot Prayer guys. So take a listen to this special podcast. Greetings, listeners. Today is September 20th. My name is Sal Serpy, and today we will be discussing the Come Together rally and protests that took place on August 26th, 2017. Weeks ago, San Francisco's morals were put to the test when Patriot Prayer organizer Joey Gibson scheduled a public speech rally at Chrissy Field. Previous events planned by Gibson have included a white supremacist and neo-Nazi following. Despite these simmering feelings within the community, members were not about to tolerate this presence in San Francisco. Members of the group called Patriot Prayer plan to hold an event next Saturday at Chrissy Field. And emotions nationwide have been stoked by the neo-Nazi presence in Charlottesville. To that point, the mayor describes this as an issue of public safety. Neo-Nazis were coming to San Francisco. This was just such an appalling idea to everybody. We decided to power up and rally up and ally up and form one big family. And looking at all of you, this is power. This is love. You guys are love. So the question here is, what can we do as a community when neo-Nazis come to our cities? Fight or flight? Today in our program, we're going to discuss how San Francisco decided to counter these groups and to not only stay in solidarity, but discuss the strategies on how to organize a peaceful protest. We have stories from community organizers Gail Whitley and Edward Wright. Also, local community icon Juanita Moore and the infamous Cleve Jones, who has been at the forefront of human rights since the 1970s. So the first speaker I have for you guys today is my dear friend Gail Whitley, who is a strong, proud, feminist activist who taught me what it meant to march and stand in solidarity with your community. So thank you, Gail, for speaking with me today. Oh, you're welcome, Sal. Thank you for asking. I'm really happy to be a part of this and answer anything and share with you my experience. So yeah, thank you. What was your impression of the community's thoughts and feelings leading up to this event that would take place on Saturday at Chrissy Field? for a lot of us earlier in the week, regardless if you were queer, if you were a woman, if you were black, uh, if you were immigrant, um, trans, all of us were initially shocked and angry Mm -hmm. that we felt that a group of people that are about hate were wanting to come and, and split us apart. So instead of acting out with hate, we decided to power up and rally up and ally up. And basically the message is, is you are not welcome here. You cannot come here and separate us. So our feeling of love and acceptance of being a family coming together, I think is really what all of us just felt that day. One of the key players to these various organizations allying up was Edward Wright. So Edward, you had quite an involvement leading up to the organization of this event. And how was this different from other protests that have took place the past year? We took a really sort of multifaceted approach to what kind of event we wanted to have. It wasn't just a rally. It wasn't just a march. It, it was a rally and a march and also uh, an art event. We had our table set up where we were giving away uh, posters that had resistance, beautiful resistance artwork commissioned from 30 different barrier artists. But in terms of who, who kind of were the originators of our event. It was Juanita Moore and Cleve Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleve in particular uh, was instrumental 
to, to having the idea to do the benefit fund and raise money. And then Juanita was really passionate about bringing in the artistic component of the event. Community leader Juanita Moore tells me a little bit more about her initial idea for this come together art rally and protest to take place at Harvey Milk Plaza. You know, the minute that I heard um, that this was happening in San Francisco, um, I knew as a community leader that I had to do something in my normal fashion, in the way my crazy brain works, as I just <laughs> had to sort of, sort of lock myself in my apartment for a whole day and not talk to anybody about it until I sort of can see it. I mean, that's how I do things. I have to visualize them. And I have mm-hmm. to visualize them pretty fully before I can really take action. The artwork that you had featured at the rally were beautiful. Were these artists that you knew locally in San Francisco? Most of them I knew. Uh, I, you know, initially the first thing I did was reach out to artists that I that I knew locally. I'm such a big supporter of artists and um, here in San Francisco. So uh, I reached out to them first. Everyone was everyone that knew they had time was like, I can do this. Like I literally needed artwork in three days to turn it around and my goal was to um print as many posters as i possibly could to pass out that day the following day i uh i texted cleve jones and gave him a call and talked to him and um we started a conversation about uh this protest peaceful protest in the castro that's that's where it grew as a young lgbtq journalist it was mind-blowing for my two superheroes to come together and lead an event that would counter these so-called neo-Nazis coming to San Francisco. So I had to ask Cleve Jones about his relationship with Juanita Moore. Juanita actually produced my 60th birthday party and I just love working with her. She's uh, she's a fierce drag queen and also uh, a very political person. Has a very a smart approach to progressive politics and is all about building coalitions and including all the many different uh, communities that make up the larger LGBTQ community here in San Francisco. When we heard about the neo-Nazis coming to San Francisco, of course, we were talking about it, and Juanita came up with the idea of having a gathering in the Castro that was going to be about art and music and loving each other. And what we quickly discovered was that people all over the city were really hungry for some kind of way to respond. Neo-Nazis were coming to San Francisco. This was just such an appalling idea to everybody. Some folks, of course, wanted to go to the place where they were going to supposedly be rallying and punch them. But others felt that that would just kind of feed into the, the dominant media narrative about, uh, you know, right-wingers being denied their freedom of speech. Some people have the opinion, oh, well, it's better not to pay these neo-Nazis any attention. What's your stance on that? Jones and his assistant Edward Wright, I found that as a community organizer, it's important to acknowledge how the media's narrative can play an effect on our communities. Um, Now, Edward, Patriot Prayer organizer Joey Gibson claimed that his purpose to hold this event was for members of the right and left to come together and leave with a diverse mindset. Do you believe Gibson was true with his intentions? <laughs> I don't want to answer for that. Aside from that, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this. The first thing I would say is that Joey Gibson is great at PR. You can just look at all the free press and free publicity he's been given just by saying controversial things on YouTube and baiting progressives with these public events. Um, so sometimes I worry that we haven't learned enough from how the media gave Trump a, a, a similar free platform. Mm. But Joey Gibson certainly learned, and now he has one too. I think it's important for us to understand that 
many of these figures that are on the alt right, Joey Gibson included, are playing chess. And too often, we're treating it like it's checkers. He says one thing to the media, and he says quite another thing to his allies and his supporters. Lastly, I had to ask Juanita Moore and Cleve Jones, what were their opinions about what we can do as community members in terms of not just reacting, but evaluate what's going on in the media and how can we confront it? What's your suggestion? I mean, you're an example of that to me. Like, having journalists that are going to speak truthfully and honestly about what really the situation is, is probably the most important thing. And especially right now with our current presidency, our journalists are the only hope that we have to hear the truth. And by you even coming, you know, coming to me to ask me to talk about this is an example of that. So that's my hope. (laughs) Their purpose is to inspire fear. And the media's purpose is to inspire fear. And we countered that fear. And we said, you know what? We're not afraid of you. Bring it on. We're going to respond in San Francisco style with drag queens and transgender and people of color and all the different kinds and colors of people that, that make up this beautiful city. We're going to we're going to draw on that. And so we had a banner to lead the march, and this was the final banner that Gilbert Baker created. He was the creator of the rainbow flag um, before he passed away this spring. And it's this giant, beautiful rainbow banner that has black lettering on it. It says, rise and resist. And when we unfurled that banner, and I saw it just lifted up and carried by this incredible, diverse coalition of people from all walks of life, from all national backgrounds, standing behind this message, that was a really beautiful moment that made me proud. There were over 10,000 of them. It still stretched all the way down Market Street to Castro. And once again, we stood together, gay and straight, young and old, black and brown and white, men and women, transgender, immigrants, refugees, all standing together for what this country means and what this city means. It just felt like we needed to celebrate how far we've come and we still are going to make it. We still are strong and we're going to keep going on and especially right now not to instill fear in people but to show a vision of what is true to the people is probably the most important thing it's never over we always have to defend our victories the enemies are always always out there and we are always stronger than them and better than them because we have love in our hearts Thank you, Sal. Thank you so much for that awesome podcast. For more on Sal, you can visit salserpy23.wixsite.com. And now to our final thoughts. So we spent the first half talking about gun control, but with somebody who ta- who can talk about it from actually trying to legislate policies uh, that makes it safer for us. So she's right. We shouldn't we shouldn't use the word control. And uh, I got to get better at that in, and not use the word control um, or gun control. Uh, uh, having a conversation about policies that make it just safer for us. I think every parent can get behind that. Every human being, right, if you've got a partner, you've got a friend, you, you have somebody who cares about you, you care about someone else. Um, so I think the second half of the show, John and I will just kind of sit and talk about it because I, I feel like – the radio show is my therapy, and I stopped seeing uh, a regular therapist um, because she costs one hundred thirty dollars an hour. And in you know in America, uh, access to talking to a therapist is that expensive. It's inaccessible. Um, insurance doesn't necessarily cover it unless you're at the brink of like a, a breakdown. I feel like um, that's one thing. That's one narrative that people have picked on that I'm happy. And, and not to pick on the media so much because there are some good, you know, articles out there that, that you had talked about, you know, that address some of these things. But there's there that when, when we talk about like mental health and and uh, guns and then these mass killings happen, people tend to glaze over this term crazy. Oh, it was just a crazy guy. 
and, and what I'm hearing now, at least, which is a good sign, is people actually saying, well, we're either going to do one of two things. One, we're, we might talk about, uh, you know, restricting people from access to these these weapons for, for mass killings, or we're going to give people access to mental health. Yeah, there's a meme going around showing, uh, or it was an Onion article, I think, uh, and it showed, you know, Paul Ryan, and the headline was something like, it's not the uh, uh, guns we try to control, it's the healthcare, mental health care we try to keep uh, from becoming real or something like that. Um, I wanted to read a quote. Uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was on Jimmy Fallon last night, and uh, they, of course, ended up, were talking for a while about uh, the Las Vegas thing. And she said, one of the first thing quote, one of the first things that Donald Trump signed as president was to reverse President Obama's order that people with sent serious mental health problems should not be able to buy guns. And so he signed it. And aren't you happy that people we already know who have mental health problems can now buy guns? This makes no sense. And the vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of gun owners know we need common sense gun safety measures. So I'm going to keep fighting for it, unquote. Um, yeah, I mean, this is... it. It The Onion headline, which I slaughtered... I, uh, choice words, which I, I mangled. Uh, but I mean, it really does get to the point of this. It's like the, it's sacrosanct in so many political spheres in this country that, you know, to, to, you must protect the NRA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're all protecting the NRA, the most well-armed organization in the world. Um, but we can't somehow deal with the serious impact of mental health, including in ways that would not just help the person, but would help other people who are hurt by those that very small minority of people who have mental illnesses who then go on to hurt other people. Um, it's there's a lot of stuff that this country mm -hmm. doesn't do well, and this brings together two issues that it handles pretty terribly. We'll wrap up our conversation there about gun control. I mean, it's going to be again. I said it, gun control. We're going to wrap our conversation about regulation uh, on gun freedom. Gun freedom. <laughs> Hey, maybe that's what uh, the the game here is. If you've got a better name for it, write to us. Yes. So we can start using it. Um, and I want to spend it just a few more minutes talking about what potentially can be coming up as far as like discussions. We'll have the program that John and I are committed to doing for um, you know starting this fall, really. Mm -hmm. And and the the idea is to align with the format of the Commonwealth Club, which is the oldest, longest running uh, public of uh, public forum, public affairs forum in the country. And we're we're so old, we do the entire program in iambic pentameter. So um, get out your Shakespeare, and you can kind of read along with us. It's going to be great. Brought to you by AARP. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, what's exciting about this is that the, the LGBT angle is, will be inclusive of all of our discussions, not that the Commonwealth Club did not do a good job of being inclusive of the LGBTQ community, but it just means more. Uh, and I talked about the fact that, you know, every one of us who identify as LGBTQ, we're walking history of our own movement. I mean, you know, some uh, a young millennial asked me the other day, why isn't there more data on, you know, Asian American health disparities in the LGBTQ, you know, sexual health space. And there, there isn't because we're now starting to be able to collect some of this data uh, now that we've got a little bit more money. I mean, you know, some of us, did, we, we, we did not have these large organizations. Those didn't exist in the, the 50s. Um, and, you know, when people are like... Dustin Lance Black didn't include me in his uh, When We Rise miniseries that focused on Cleve Jones. I'm an activist and I've been here. I've, I'm older than Cleve Jones. And Dustin Lance Black's response to that is good. Now tell your story. Now go out and write that story because that was just one of many stories to be told. And so I think the Commonwealth Club is the perfect flat platform for us to authentically share and have thoughtful discussions that will be complex, that will be complicated, uh, but necessary. So especially when it, it involves intersectionality and when we talk about like marginalized voices, like what does that actually mean? Uh, and, and all these issues, right? Like the LGBTQ community is not excluded from the conversation about guns and gun access having been 
a community targeted and affected by mass killing, as you mentioned last year with Orlando. So that's why I'm excited. And I think finally, after an hour, I'm able to articulate something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've just heard, and I think if you listen to this show, you already know uh, those are the reasons we want to be working with Michelle Miao because she knows this topic. She knows everybody in it. She's passionate about it, and she's a pro. So we're very excited. So stay tuned for that, and that's our call. Our, that's our promo for you to follow us on our social media. You should absolutely consider becoming a member of the Commonwealth Club if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's how you're going to have access to all these great discussions um, in, in uh, live. You know, you can come to the talks, uh, and go, you can do that by heading to commonwealthclub.org. And also, we, we post our information up there. We'll be better at posting shows and all that stuff when it comes time to be legit. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the conversation. Again, head to michellemeow.com for all of it. We'll see you next time.